Attention, attention, attention. We interrupt our regular scheduled programming with an important announcement. The end is nigh. Having survived the war on Christmas, the emu eyes pandemic, and the reign of President Piers Morgan, the true cause of the apocalypse has been revealed. Snowflakes are ruining the world! Welcome everybody to episode four, I think, yes, of Snowflakes are ruining the world. It's actually episode three part two I suppose so it's really debatable but let's not get lost on that I can go off on a tangent by myself apparently so you didn't even need me to derail you there (laughs) the ADHD is strong in this one I didn't need her to derail me then but she's here anyway please welcome Pamela it's the chaos squirrel and on a scale Pamela of naught to ten ten being Oh my God, the chaos squirrel will not shut up. How are you today? Oh, I'd say I'm like very hyperactive. Yeah, I'm probably an 11 right now. Great. One thing one thing they don't tell you about stimulants is how like all that noise that goes in your head, you know, when it goes quiet when you take your medication, that just comes out your mouth. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it just unblocks it and then you just can't stop talking. And um, speaking of unblocking, obviously we seem to have a regular segment now. How are your bowels today? Oh, God, they're so bad. They're so bad. I've got the trifecta at the minute, though, haven't I? Because I've got, like, the anxiety and the lack of sleep that's causing the IBS. Then I've got the medication that's, like, literally having my arsehole and adrenaline. And then (laughs) it gets worse. And then I've also got my period. (laughs) So everything's, like, contracting. And it's just, yeah, it's not not pleasant. It's not pleasant. I don't think men realise what women have to go through. They don't understand we're so like they talk about women as if we're sort of like the weaker fairer sex but they have no idea the horror that we see (laughs) oh so yeah that's been fun how are your bowels are your bowels regular are they (laughs) I mean they're okay I can't really complain what what I do love is two things have happened during the preamble number one you were asking me for advice on IBS while I was on the toilet (laughs) <laughs> the irony Help me. <laughs> and then number two is you were also asking number for two. my ad- number two number two is you were also asking for like my advice on what to do with you being on your period oh no that was just me complaining like I think ah, I, don't have, right. I don't have other adults do I like a lot of the time so like yeah as soon as I go to another adult I will just tell them about everything it just happens to be that my periods come out nowhere yeah typical woman just always talking about your periods do you know though I haven't I've had the implant haven't I and my periods disappeared and it was brilliant I saved so much money I saved so much money not just on tampons but on chocolate paracetamol bad dating decisions like it's been brilliant the irony being though I was saying this the other day because apparently and I know like I'm, I'm doing again where I leap ahead into the subject but because ADHD symptoms get worse around your period I could never figure out why like the week before my period I was really witty I'm really quick and like if you get into an argument with me I will destroy you but I'll also dump my boyfriends (laughs) like if someone's getting dumped it's happening the week before. I want to make a point here that obviously I made a really sexist comment and that was for comic effect Um, I'm not actually a sexist who thinks that women are just talking about their periods but also (laughs) I am sat here quite happily having a conversation with you about your period because believe it or not, men, we don't have to go, oh, that's gross. I don't want to talk about that. We should be able to talk about periods. Women go through an awful lot of fucking pain each month. As a society, we should be able to fucking talk about periods. Thank you very much. I had this conversation with my grand the other day and she was saying about like how, you know, like we're, we're again, the snowflakes. The snow, she's not going to listen to the podcast, don't worry. But yeah, she was saying how like, oh, they want this for the periods and for that. And, you know, when they, they want maternity, like they don't need maternity. And I'm like, grand, like you, you're pushing an entire child out yourself. I said to her, do you really think if men had periods that we wouldn't get time off work every time someone had a period? And I told her that thing, you know, about how the pain that we experience when we have a period is similar to that of a heart attack. And it's like, we're constantly told that we're weak. But I mean, I've seen men hooked up to, you know, they're, they're machines that sort of simulate contractions in labour. Mm, and they're on yeah. like two or three and they're dying. Yeah. Because our bodies are made for that, you know. But because we're sort of, you know, the fairer sex, that that's not really seen, is it? So, yeah, lesson for all men. 
let's talk about periods let's talk yes. about periods should we do an entire podcast on periods I mean not now we probably could but let's not do one now let's move us on because the second thing you talked about there was getting dumped oh I did I am very insensitive but you to are. be fair to be fair I think I'm like that about everything though it's like if you don't talk <laughs> about it just make a joke out of it because if you don't it's devastating yeah more on that in a second because what I do quickly want to loop back around to is once again my repetitive thank you for the people who've listened and in particular thank you to the people who've got in touch because it sounds like ADHD neurodiverse chaos squirrel neurospicy chaos squirrel part whatever the fuck we called it part one of this shit show was very very well received and in fact one of our snowflakes got in touch yeah I actually squealed the, the first thing was the accent because she's from London and I got so excited <laughs> and it was just nice it was nice to hear sort of that other people understand because sometimes you do feel like you're just screaming at the void you're like am I actually mental is it just that I do not fit in this society and, and everyone else is right and I'm wrong and then other people start to go no actually I do that I think that and you realize that it's just we've been suppressed from a very young age and I love that we're talking about it now and it made us feel really good because it, we put so much in hadn't we and like I can see that, especially for people with ADHD, to sit and listen to a podcast for an hour is, is is a big thing. And it's amazing that people have done that because I struggle with with things of that length. But like I think people were just sort of getting, you know, when you get drawn into the ADHD, kind of like, oh yeah. And that's a part of the point of the podcast. It's to talk about that shit, to talk about that shit that we all feel like we're fucking alone with, and to find commonality everywhere. But also, you're right, it was really, really nice because we both put kind of so much into that first podcast because obviously the stuff we talked about during the podcast, where it was really, really draining for you, and then it was really, really draining for me because, well, the podcast aged badly because there I was talking about flowers for my lovely, lovely boyfriend who, by the time the podcast was released, was no longer my boyfriend. Ryan is still a lovely, lovely person. I just can no longer refer to Ryan as my boyfriend. It was a bad weekend for both of us. I think you definitely, you had a worse weekend than me, like hands down. But I think I was in a similar place where I felt kind of, I felt rejected and I felt like I'm never going to find someone who understands me. I'm never going to find that. Like Amelia is the other half of me. You know, she's like my soul running around outside my body and I love it a bit. But having that sort of partner relationship thing and knowing that it's hard with ADHD you kind of you're trying to like we were saying you're trying to keep faith aren't you you're trying to keep faith that you're going to be okay but it can be it can be a lot especially when those feelings are so intense yeah so thank you to the snowflake who sent us that voice note although I didn't get a chance to listen to it because I was off in London being Mr Superhero Europe and also just with general sad boy vibes I was a bit too busy and I can't go back and listen to it now for some reason but Pamela heard it I could um hi Alice <laughs> I could literally repeat it word for word because I listened to it about 20 times I'm really upset that you didn't get to hear it because it's just it's probably me playing it that many times <laughs> probably either way it meant the world to us both but I love I love your accent Alice it's absolutely gorgeous and all the things you said were just and obviously we've had other comments we've had other listeners and it's been brilliant like just seeing people appreciating it appreciating what we have to say and, and having ideas of their own so please do get in touch if you would like to. We'd love to hear from you. What I do want to start by talking about is the stuff I've hinted at there, because I don't want to sit here and whinge and moan about my breakup. But because it was such a big part of the last podcast, I do want to talk about it a little bit because I'm hyper aware that my ADHD contributed towards it. Again, my undiagnosed ADHD, I want to add that, I always want to quantify it, essentially kind of without talking about it at length, without making a big thing of it, I want to relate my experience to ADHD in relationships because to really summarise a whole complexity of issues down into a soundbite for a podcast that 20 people listen to what happened was that essentially I was feeling those incredible highs and lows that we talked about in the last episode 
I was feeling the extremes of emotion because of some of the situations that were going on at the time. And I struggled to understand those emotions and I struggled to convey those emotions. And so I had a wonderful partner who would listen to my emotions, but I didn't quite know how to communicate them. And so I just went, here are all of my emotions. And then there was also things that he was doing that were potentially triggering my RSD, my rejection sensitive dysphoria. Bing! That's where if we were on screen, that would appear on screen. Bing! And it became a whole kind of ADHD mess. Everything was kind of going through my ADHD. And I'm drastically oversimplifying it, obviously. But because I was feeling that way, because I was so blur about it, the things I was saying and the things I was doing hurt him. And he kind of could not see past those things. And so he ended up saying that he couldn't do it anymore. And I get the reasons why, because I have hurt him. However, unintentionally, because of my struggles to communicate and because of my struggles to even fully understand my emotions and feelings and convey them because it all just became a big old mess within my head and it was really really hard to unpick some of that and I'm sharing this because I know that that is a common thing within neurodiverse people I have friends with neurodiversity and I have friends with neurodiverse partners and I know this is something that can be a real real challenge for everybody and so I wanted to start the podcast by talking about it. Yeah like obviously I've been listening to you there and I'm thinking a lot of that comes down to the emotional dysregulation and the dopamine seeking so like for me, obviously, I had my little thing, didn't I, over that weekend as well, where I started talking to someone, I got excited, and the dopamine just comes out of nowhere. So I haven't had sex for, <laughs> are you ready for this? It was before the pandemic, before the lockdown in the pandemic. So is that three, is that nearly three years now? How long I that? mean, either way, that means that your vagina has sealed itself back up. But it, it hasn't, though. That's the problem, Gareth. That's the problem, because my ADHD, from a very, very early age, my sex drive was a lot, and it got worse in puberty, and it was to the point where a few years ago, I couldn't even concentrate. It's like, I don't know if you watch The Office, the American one, but um, Phyllis says something like, um, I never had an orgasm till I was 33, and then it lasted till I was 35. <laughs> And that's essentially what it's like. So I, I don't have a partner. I haven't had a partner for years, but I still have the implant in because it suppresses my sex drive. Because the first thing my brain does is it sees love, it sees sex, and it's like, that is a quick, fast, hard source of dopamine. If you want to feel dopamine, you fall in love. And the problem with that is because we're little addicts, <laughs> we need that dopamine, we get so enthralled with the other person and that's why we get compared a lot of the time as well um to people who you know like um love bomb because we do love bomb because we get excited we're like little puppies and we're, we're soaking up all that dopamine and we're adoring this other person and then one of two things happen either they pull back because we're being too much and they can't take it and we feel rejected or they match our energy and they give us that back And then we feel safe and the dopamine just wears off and then we don't want to be around them anymore. And that's it's a really, really difficult thing to balance because you go from this sensory seeking. I need to feel good. I need to be around you. Like I would I would have those, you know, like night long sex sessions where the windows would be steamed up and you'd be gasping for air. And I'd still have all this energy because it was just I couldn't think of anything else but that I just wanted to like be with that person and the love was the same I couldn't see any bad things I couldn't I couldn't see when I was being too much you know because I was just so enthralled and then overnight something would switch in my brain and I'd feel nothing so firstly when you're talking about the night-long sex sessions and steamy windows oh 
But it's not. Anyway, as, it sounds good, but it's not terrific. It's just very noisy and very messy. <laughs> very sweaty too, and, and there's just sweaty, fluid yeah. everywhere. The sweat and oh yes, yes, it's horrific. But at the same time, I do, I do miss that. I miss that closeness. I miss that kind of, you know, having that with someone. But I'm frightened because I've got a kid now, and obviously you were talking there about how heartbroken you were, and obviously how, not upset, but how sort of. I, I kind of spat my dummy out, didn't I? Because my source of dopamine was taken away because, you know, that thing didn't work out for me. And it was overwhelming. But you do get those feelings of rejection. And I'm thinking, I've got a child also who, you know, most likely has ADHD. And she's going to feel that. And I don't want her to sort of suffer because I can't get into a healthy relationship. And I can see from the outside, I can look at other people's relationships and I can give them advice. But it's totally different when it's you and you're experiencing that emotional overload because we all know when we have meltdowns when we have sensory overload the logical part of your brain is gone so a couple of a couple of things I just want to leap back to because I do this don't I I leap around firstly another announcement on behalf of men because what I did was I made a joke about how your vagina had sealed up because (laughs) there hadn't been a penis in it but announcement women can masturbate women Another announcement as well, because this joke happens a lot as well. When people find out you've had a child, it is a muscle and it will go back to normal. It's not mm-hmm. just a massive windsock for the rest of you. <laughs> OK, so second thing was that that neither of those two things that you mentioned actually happened. What actually happened was that Ryan was going through a really, really tough time. And so he did pull back. It wasn't because I was being too much. It's because he was having a tough time and my RSD took over my my emotional overload just took over and that is kind of what that's that's the spark that lit the fuse that blew our relationship up but hey I thought it was worth talking about for the fact that I know that a lot of neurodiverse people struggle with this so again it wasn't kind of a woe is me woe is me moment it was I know that this is something else that that people who are listening to this are probably going to be able to relate to because that's exactly what kind of happened with me. If I started looking up ADHD stuff, I started looking up, I started looking up ways to make sense of it. And I stumbled across a lot of ADHD stuff and, and that was massively, massively helpful for me. But I understand because it's been a chaotic week and I feel like you handled it well and that you've come out of it. You've learned stuff about yourself. And I think that's all it is, is communication if you communicate with the other person and you try your best that's all you can do and if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out and if it does then you both get to grow together but either way as long as you're still growing that's you know that's what's important isn't it I am going to keep growing no matter what I've, I've made that commitment to myself I want to grow with him and I hope I can but if not then I will keep growing by myself But anyway, enough about my pathetic love life. Um, But I know that this is also not just romantic relationships. This can be a case with friendships. RSD and struggles to communicate can play into friendships too. We were talking before we started about how we went a period of like years and years and years without talking. You know, we don't fully understand what had actually happened with us, but somewhere along the line I'd got the impression that you weren't interested anymore and we'd just kind of stopped talking hadn't we and then I'd initiated that not talking by deleting you from Facebook because you know we were children at the time and that's what you did and yeah we went years and years without talking until like your ADHD squirrel brain kicked in and you messaged me out of the blue and we bonded again and I think that's a sad thing because like I was talking to a friend about you the other day because she was bullied all through childhood so was I and you struggle as an adult to think that people will like you and I remember the night that you blocked me or the night that I noticed that you you deleted me or whatever you had done and I was in a really dark place at the time and I think what had happened was you know I was at uni my ADHD was like completely corrupting everything you know I was smoking a lot of weed I was in a bad relationship I was drinking a lot I was going out drinking you know I was I was doing anything I could to try and find that dopamine but I was just depressed and I just I'd shut myself off from everyone, you know, Um, and I think I just remember being heartbroken and just thinking like, well, there's another two friends that I can't rely on. And that's the problem, because like 
with ADHD, it's you know, same with depression. Someone with really bad depression can seem very selfish to other people. You know, mm-hmm. we can forget birthdays and we can turn up late and we can struggle with these things. You know, we might be your partner and we don't tidy around the house and it's awful because we should be pulling our weight, but it's really hard. And it's that frustration. It's that kind of like you have to be kind to yourself, but you also kind of have to understand that it can be a burden on other people as well. And I'm glad I'm glad my hyperactivity had me message you because that's the thing. You know, that was when I sort of started to realise, why do I keep losing friends? Why can't I sustain relationships? And that's what kind of got me onto that track. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm really glad that happened as well. And we're stronger for it. And even doing this, you and I have learned so much about each other already. And we're only four episodes in, but we've learned to show each other compassion and without going to come by yar about it all, the world would be a much nicer place if we all just showed each other a little bit more compassion and understanding. And I think we all have a lot of bullshit that informs the way we communicate. And it's really, really important, I think, to try and see and to try and remember the person behind all of that bullshit. I can say something and it has to go through my emotional regulation filter and my RSD filter and my whatever other filters, my childhood trauma filter, my parental trauma filter, my gods, and everything else. And then it has to hit all of your filters before it gets to you. And I think it's just really, really... It feels like Chinese whispers, doesn't it? You know, like, as every time it passes through, it distorts and it distorts. We don't seem to remember that our reality is completely based on what we perceive and nobody else sees it like us. And that's confusing sometimes. It is. And we have to remember to see the person behind the bullshit. Regardless of what message comes through those filters, we have to remember the person at the other side of those filters. And that's what happened to us as well when we were talking about this this morning. You know, we were on about um, when we fell out, you know, was it the first podcast we fell out? Because it all gone wrong. Well, we didn't fall out, but we needed a break, didn't we? We needed like some space. Mm -hmm. And I remember you were feeling like, oh, Pamela doesn't want to do this. Everyone always leaves me. And I was thinking, I'm not good enough to be invited to the party in the first place. So why am I here? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's so strange because that's how I sort of feel about when my friends sort of disappear. I think, oh, I wasn't good enough then. And it's such a common thing. But that came across to me as, you know, oh, he's having a go at me and about something I really struggle with and now I feel like shit. And you were thinking, she's not respecting my time here. Like, I've put all this effort in. I'm going to edit this now. And she's fucking around. She doesn't care. And then on the yeah. other side, I'm like, I really care about this. So I can't fuck it up. So I just won't do it. And and we wouldn't be four episodes in if we hadn't actually sat and, and had that conversation. And And the flip side of it is, like you said, my general approach to life is that people are going to get close to me. People are going to get to know me. And then they're going to get to actually know me. And they're going to decide oh maybe not I cried listening to your voice note you'd said like I knew I was going to let my walls down and I knew I was going to get hurt and I burst into tears because I was like this is why I've stayed single for so long because it just hurts a lot and as much as the highs feel amazing the lows are too much and I think with me where I'm at now with my ADHD is those extremes for me they just they wear me out and love wears me out. I, I love the feeling of being in love, but I also cannot cope with the heartbreak. So just to see how strong you've been and sort of how well you've communicated, like not not just for him, but with me, you know, like talking to your friends about it and communicating with yourself. It's been really good to see it. We've said a couple of times, haven't we, that because we're talking regularly, that I can unmask around you. I don't have to use all of these coping mechanisms and hide all of this and so it's been really really easy to talk to you because I know you've been able to get it and I've been able to just go blur with you with other people I've had to kind of pause and reflect before I could talk to them about what had happened because it was all too intense in the moment and I was still very much in that headspace of like oh my god everything hurts ah I've got all of these emotions yeah, and I feel you. like that wasn't wasn't it didn't work as smoothly with us over the weekend. I think because I was coming on off my dopamine high and I was like, love is shit. No, you know, everyone's <laughs> everything's corrupt. Like, you know, I was in that headspace and I was trying hang on, to hang on, hang on. Sorry. Sorry, stop. Oh, here we go. You know what I want, don't you? Abolish everything. Thank you. I'm gonna have to like do a t-shirt. Me and Steph will make a t-shirt and we'll start selling abolish everything t-shirts. There we go. First merchandise. Get on there. But I do. I think um, communication is key. Right. So 
on to what we actually planned because that whole relationship thing was not a planned thing what we wanted to talk about was getting a diagnosis the first thing we want to do is talk through an online test now I just want to obviously say Pamela and I are absolutely in no fucking way qualified to diagnose people with ADHD she thinks she is absolutely she thinks she is she's having stickers printed up to say that she is oh yeah yeah but we're not and an online test is absolutely not reliable either all an online test can do is suggest that you go and get a diagnosis yeah and I think obviously with the you know with not being diagnosed the waiting list is very long and I think in my opinion I think not self-diagnosis not saying I've got ADHD you know I'm autistic if you haven't you know been through the process and stuff but sitting there with yourself and going right well I think I'm probably in the neurodivergent category here I identify like you you know you're allowed to self-identify because I absolutely don't want people to diagnose themselves with conditions that they don't have but at the same time we also then have to be conscious of the fact that it's very difficult to get that diagnosis so at least doing the research and going through the tests if you feel like you need to speak to someone and if you need any help with that as well I'm always open to help you with things like that because I know it's difficult but we'll get into that later we'll we'll go through the uh, the testing now and don't panic because as soon as you hear the word test anyone with ADHD just goes no <laughs> don't worry I'm going to guide us through it as we've established, I am the less chaotic one of this partnership. Yeah, but I just tell myself that you're the boring straight one, because now I know. <laughs> Which is ironic, because I'm a flaming homosexual. I'm sat wearing sequins. I'm not really, but I could be quite easily. What I do want to quickly mention as well on the topic of the testing and the diagnosis and stuff. Shall I talk about my father? Oh, Yes. I feel even my dad out of these for now because I'm frightened. You might actually listen to the podcast one day and then kick me out of the house. <laughs> Mine's not going to listen to it. Mine never listens to a fucking thing I say. Yeah. So I was messaging my father the Saturday after Ryan had broken up with me on the Thursday. And so I was, as the kids would say, totes emotion. And I'd shared with him the idea that actually my ADHD symptoms and behaviours had massively contributed towards it. And it wasn't something I'd ever mentioned to him before because Bob and I don't speak very often. But he kind of said, well, why ADHD? And I, I explained it to him. And then he said, oh, for fuck's sake, I've just Googled RSD and apparently I have ADHD as well as autism. And I thought, oh, that's really nice. My father's trying to relate here. That's that's lovely. And then I spoke to him a little bit more and kind of said to him, well, that makes sense because you're kind of going to get it from your parents, probably. Knowing both of my biological parents, it's probably from both of them. And then we talked a little bit more and he started throwing out stuff like, do we need to label all of our disabilities? And then I started to realise that I'd read that initial text completely wrong because he then started to come out with stuff like, I will not follow pop psychology and diagnose myself based on www. And what I then realised he was trying to do is he'd Googled it to try to prove to me that anybody could have those symptoms. He'd Googled it to try and undermine me and yet had the nerve to tell me I was being condescending when I was trying to encourage him to look into it more. And yet he was the one who'd Googled it to go, oh, well, you don't have this. Everybody has it. So fuck you, Bob. So on to the ADHD test. My God, I sound bitter in this episode. I've ranted about my breakup. I've told my father to go fuck himself. You're just going through all the uh, all the major points, all the major plots in a film, aren't you? Like, what's next? Yeah, I am. So you're going to murder someone next. That's what's going to happen. Well, do you know what? Actually, Bob was really, really considerate because that night I was really, really upset. And sometimes after a breakup, you need to be angry. But I couldn't be angry at Ryan because he's absolutely lovely and he's still one of my favourite people. But my God, I can be angry at my father. But then did you ever think that part of that was you subconsciously knowing where the root of all that comes from? We've got the luxury of the internet. Like I had the luxury of having all that information. I had the luxury of going to uni and doing psychology. So I already had a good basis on my mental health and what to do. Pamela, he's got a degree in psychology. That's the thing. Like I've, I've been talking to friends who are speaking to their therapists and their therapists are pushing them for you know assessments for borderline personality disorder and things like that 
over ADHD because they're still living with that stereotype because of the fact that we haven't addressed that most of our psychology studies were done on men and boys and looking at how it affects you outwardly. Oh, fuck the patriarchy. Essentially, yeah. And it's and it's not just that also, it's it's the capitalism. You know, it started to be a problem when, you know, the Industrial Revolution happened because then it was like, right, well, we can't put these people to use, so what do we do with them? And that's when we kind of almost became a drain on society when actually what it is is that you're not supporting us, so you're not getting the benefit of our skills. So do you know what, Pamela? Abolish everything. Abolish everything. It's taken us three attempts to get to this test. That I've We're got to get it. We're going to get there. Well, I'm currently hanging out clothes, so I'm trying to multitask, which is never a good idea. Ironically, question one. I find it difficult <laughs> finishing a task or project. Uh, I'm really good at starting tasks. Are you? What are you good at? I'm so good at starting them. Oh, my God. I have been writing a series for about 10 years if not longer this series started as a film then turned into a book then turned into a tv series script and now that i've finally written two series worth of it i've decided it might actually be better as a book and see this is why we are better as working for ourselves this is why we don't do well in normal work situations because there's that theory that we were the hunters, we were the we were the discoverers, you know, and the others were the farmers, and they would keep things right when we obviously were just in all over the place. Ran off after a saber toothed tiger. Yeah, but it's that, but it's that impulsivity. I mean, if I think about it, I've literally let myself be creative and let my impulsivity lead for a couple of weeks now. We're doing a podcast. I'm doing music again. I'm starting a business. Everything's feeling good because I've stopped doubting myself and I'm just jumping on it. That's how I managed to actually get two series into writing it because I wrote the first two episodes years ago and then read them back and doubted myself and doubted myself and doubted myself it wasn't until with writing when I learned to let the impulsivity lead and to go right I'm just gonna write this and then question it all later unfortunately sooner or later I do have to question it all and that's when I start going "Mm, maybe it's better as a book question two I find it difficult to organize myself or a task So what do you think about that? Because you're quite organised, I think. This is where it gets difficult because I have so many things in place to support me with being organised. I have a daily fucking to-do list and I have to write things down and I have to have notes that I can refer back to to steer myself throughout the day and to make sure that I'm not forgetting something. And see, that's the thing as well, because people will say, oh, well, I need, I use post-its, I use notes, you know, everyone uses reminders and timers and things. It's like, yes, that's true. But the difference is I can use that timer and it'll work for a couple of days and then I have to find a whole new thing because my brain, it's almost like our dopamine system is backwards. So instead of you do the task, you get the reward, like a neurotypical we give ourselves the reward of fantasizing about being really good at the task and we buy all the stuff and we get that dopamine and then we just sit there in a graveyard of, of abandoned hobbies because we have to chase the next thing and now and again it'll stick now and again it'll be something you might like my friend Steph you know she's brilliant in business because she's got that sort of impulsivity of this is exciting I can make money here right this is boring now what's next and I think that's the sort of skill that comes behind that you know like if you can just organize yourself but the problem is people say I'll get a planner get this it doesn't work like that the to-do list really works for me to an extent because kind of what I will do is I'll get dopamine from ticking stuff off so that means that I'll take off the easy stuff and so there'll be stuff that'll sit there for days and days and days and days and days on the list because I'm just ticking off easier stuff. With me, I have to care about the list. I have to be in one of those, like, I'm going to change my life kind of phases. Otherwise, it's just another generic thing. It's the fact that you know you're capable of doing amazing things, but you don't have any control over when, where and what. So I've answered often for that one. Question three, I find it difficult to remember appointments. Yeah, all the time all the time I'm terrible unless I have them on a calendar I mean I've recently moved my bed around and my calendar's no longer in my eye line and I've missed about six events already in like the last week and a half it's the same for me I have a diary and a calendar to remind myself of appointments 
unless it's something I'm really excited about, it just goes straight out of my head. And again, this is where like, I'm going to answer again often because I can manage to go to appointments, but I have to put so much work in to get myself to remember that appointment. And that's why I think the test is difficult because if I just go, oh, well, I don't have difficulty remembering it. I have to break down the stuff that I need to do to get myself to remember. And I think you've got to think as well that the problem with masking and these coping mechanisms, like when I rang the doctor and we were talking about, you know, going through an autism assessment and he said, oh, well, you know, you seem to be coping. And I was like, I've just told you that when I meet someone, I have to write down everything about them, what I don't think they like about me, what I'm going to say to them next, how, when I'm going to, I have to literally do that every time I speak to someone. That's not living. That's literally trying to, you know, just, just cope, just survive. And because we've got those coping mechanisms, until you get that diagnosis and you're sitting there and you're thinking, that light's really bright and I feel really sick. And that's why, because I'm having sensory overload right now. So question four, if a task or project requires a lot of thought, I will often delay in getting started. You are nodding at me and I already know the answer. So I'm going to go with very often because I'm also the same. Like I don't want to sit and think about it. Just kind of want to get on and do it. I can never fully finish planning something because even if I start planning something, I'll get too excited about it and then just go, right, no, let's do it. I find it difficult to sit still and often fidget or squirm. So we talked about this in the last one because I didn't think I did this. And yet then we talked about the clicking the pen. And actually, as we've been doing this podcast the entire time, I've had a pencil in my hand and I have no idea why I've got a pencil in my hand because I'm not writing anything, but I am gesturing with it and biting it. And it's one of those where, you know, you can switch the leads over. And so just a few times I've taken the lead out of it and just switched that around just so that I've got something to kind of toy with in my hand. The problem with that question is it is very directed to like a kid running around not being able to stop. If you pace when you're on the phone, if you have racing thoughts, if you always have to be busy, but you're never getting anything done, that's the same thing. It's still hyperactivity. Question six. I would describe myself as being on the go and feel compelled to do things as if driven by a motor. Now, I think this is kind of an extension of that last question, isn't it? So I'm I'm going to I'm going to go with an often for this one because I very much do. I have that to-do list and I always want to be doing something productive and feel almost guilty when I'm not. Yeah, and I think it's the phone's a big one because your phone's an easy way to distract yourself. It's an easy way to sort of busy your mind and you get a lot of dopamine, but you waste a lot of time on it. And one of the things Kim had said, my friend who'd done my forms for me, she said, oh, she's always she's always busy. But she's never like she never gets the things she wants to get done because she's always so busy and she doesn't know how to prioritise her tasks. I find it hard to remain focused in group settings. It depends. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. So other times, like now, I can't shut up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll be, you know, I'll be really involved and I'll, I'll know what's going on. I'll be the one distracting everyone. So, you know, the focus sort of shifts to me. I'm, I'm very self-involved. But then other times I will just shut down because I'll feel like oh, I've got nothing to offer here. Nobody likes me and I'll zone out. I always find myself fading into the background in group situations. So I do really, really struggle with them. So I've gone with sometimes. Yeah. Question eight. My mind feels very cluttered. And it is hard for me to concentrate on one thing at a time. Yeah, I'm not. we're not even discussing this one. I'm taking very often. Question nine. I make decisions quickly and fail to think through the consequences. So that's, again, the impulse control stuff that we've talked about. And so I'm going to go with, oh, see, I don't know. I'm kind of going to go with a sometimes for that because my mind is racing. I'm always thinking about the consequences of everything. So it's the, I will make a decision quickly, but it's the fail to think through the consequences bit that I've kind of, I'm a bit 50-50 on that one. So I am just going to go with sometimes. I am often irritable with a short fuse. Yes. Yes. It's the impatient stuff we discussed last time. I'm very irritable when it comes to certain situations. Again, I don't want to paint myself like I'm a complete angry angry bastard but there are certain things that I am very very irritable with and I don't like waiting I don't like waiting for anything I don't like waiting for Pamela to turn up to a to a recording I have mood swings 
sometimes feeling quite high, other times low. Again, let's not discuss this one. I feel like we've already covered it. That's very often. And that is, okay, I'm going to discuss it a little bit because that's the experiencing the highs and the lows of emotion, being super, super sensitive to that emotion and feeling the 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 highs and the lows that come with it and feeling that almost like a fucking daily roller coaster, isn't it? Because suddenly you can be really, really excited and then suddenly something can happen and you can be so fucking low. Oh, I often miss what is being said to me in conversations. I don't know. I'm quite good at this one, I think. I feel for me, it depends on the conversation. So like I've had conversations, for instance, with lecturers where I've been trying to tell them how I struggle to focus while not being able to focus on what she's saying. And she's she's literally and I can feel myself going, whereas other times it's the complete opposite. And I'll remember every little detail. I think it's what's exciting, what's interesting to us. Yes. And things like dates and, and sort of things that aren't really attached to emotion and things I struggle with. So are we going to do rarely or sometimes for that one? Well, this is you, isn't it? I think you were answering that one because we're going to... Well, true. Okay, I'm going to go with rarely then. Otherwise, I'm going to bump you right up the scale. (laughs) The results indicate that you are likely to be suffering with ADHD. Your answers to this test are consistent with ADHD in adults and further investigation would be recommended. When you first get that result, you think, nah. (laughs) Nah. When you get your diagnosis, you go, maybe, but nah. (laughs) The thing is, that's the fifth test I think I've done and every single one of them have said, hmm, yeah, you've probably got ADHD. You might want to have a look at that, pal. And I think that's it, isn't it? You you do a few of them and you think, oh, actually, hang on a minute. And once you realise, you've realised. I think I realised before I did the test, again, from that talking to you and from the from the stuff I learned. And that's why my father's like messages to me was so irritating, because he doesn't have the context of me learning about this for like a year, a year and a half. I got the, um, you know, you're brainwashing yourself. The kicker with ADHD is because we hyper-focus on things that are interesting, because our brains are interesting to us, we're going to hyper-focus. But also that gives us the ability to go through thousands and thousands of pages of research and, and different sources. That is exactly what I did this week, though. So I know you've kind of congratulated me on learning so much about myself post breakup and my counsellor did that too because I'm seeing a counsellor because guys if it's not clear already I need to but that's what I did Ryan broke up with me and it was devastating and so I hyper focused on the reasons why and that's why I learned so much and that's why I was able to go right okay no this is kind of where it went wrong this is this was some of the stuff that happened in it it was because of x y and z because I didn't understand it and I was hurt and so I hyper focused on understanding it and that's what kind of led me to then ah all of these ADHD things that I didn't really realize because it's not really cropped up before when it's come to like ADHD in a relationship I want you to talk a little bit about getting your diagnosis and what your journey was like with that so I remember being in the office when my brother was getting his, you know, his assessment for his ADHD. And he was probably about the same age as Amelia. And she was doing those questions, you know, that you've just gone through there. And one of them was, do you get easily distracted? And before she finished the sentence, James like jumped out the chair, went to the window, went, there's a slide out there, man. That's sort of what I thought ADHD looked like. You know, I've grown up with him. I thought that's that's what it looks like. I'm just a bit weird. <laughs> And then obviously I met my friend Kaz, so I, I decided to be brave one day, again impulsive. I went out and I took her to I took Amelia to Newcastle. We went to the life centre, and she found this little girl, and I found this this uh, last Kaz. And she was saying how um, her little girl was she was diagnosed autistic at the time, and Kaz hadn't had her diagnosis, but she was talking to me, and we related so much that we decided to meet up again in Newcastle. So we'd go on these little trips. And she kept mentioning ADHD and I was like, no, it's just anxiety. While I was like saying, oh, but I proper relate to what James is saying, you know, like about how there's all this noise in his head. But I think because we're living with that stereotype, we don't ever think it could be me. And then when you actually do go to get the diagnosis, that's daunting as well. Because Kaz was sort of messaging me and saying, you know, like these are the forms. And it's the questions on the forms, just filling out forms when you have ADHD is stressful. 
it's really stressful and you will avoid it because there's no dopamine there. So, um, you know, she'd be like, you need to hurry up because the waiting list is getting longer and longer because I went through, it's a company called Psychiatry UK or Psych UK is what we call it. And I went through right to choose on the NHS, which is still a thing now. So if you go to your GP and you say, I want to get a diagnosis for ADHD through right to choose and I found this company um, they'll put you through but the GPs don't know about it the GPs don't know it's a thing and if Kaz hadn't explained all this to me I'd have gone to the GP said oh I think I might have ADHD and they'd have gone no you're fine it's just anxiety we're not paying for you to go and do an assessment and and that would have been it because to pay privately I think it was near a grand um, so I was very lucky because I was in getting diagnosed and on titration before everyone found out about Psych UK and sort of rushed to it but obviously I was doing the forms and when I sent the forms in, I'd said to Kaz, like, there's a lot of there's a lot of words here. She should do a word count. Hers was like 3,000, mine came out at like 10,000. And like when he rang me, he said, I didn't even really need to speak to you on the phone because she sent me 40 pages of information, 40, 40 pages of information and about 20 screenshots of my books. I got like things from my lecturers. I got my dad and my friend to do a form. I hyper focused. And then obviously I got my diagnosis and I thought I was going to be happy. I bought myself that T-shirt, hadn't I? You know, the, the ACD one, the ADHD. And I was dead excited and I thought, oh, I'm going to I'm going to celebrate. I'll throw myself a little party. And I felt flat because I was just like, I've tricked them. I've tricked them. Like, it's not real. <laughs> and everyone I've spoke to, that's like, it's a meme. It's literally a meme now on Facebook because it goes through this. I've just got anxiety. I'm going to share these memes. Oh, I might have ADHD. Oh, no, I've tricked them. And then you like hit acceptance and it's meant it's meant because you're like, actually, I'm just going to stop pretending to be someone I'm not like. I'm just going to mm. appreciate that. Like Alice said in that voice note, I thought I was going crazy when actually I've got this super superpower behind me and you've just got to figure out how to use it. Yeah. So that's all it is. It's self-discovery. It's a roller coaster. You'll feel like shit one minute and then you'll feel elated the next. But at least you'll have your answers. Yeah. I mean, I'm nearly emotional at just hearing that because of a lot of the stuff I relate to there. And the, it's the self-discovery thing, you know, over the last few years, the discovering the anxiety and then discovering the ADHD and stuff. And I am so much more me than I have ever been, if that makes any kind of sense, because... I'm letting all of these unhealthy coping mechanisms and all of these unhealthy ways of hiding myself fall away. And unfortunately, that has that has meant that I've struggled in a relationship with somebody that I really, really cared about. And I might never get that back with him. And that will be a shame if that happens. But I'm learning more and more about myself. I have this du- duality now of kind of looking at my parents and thinking they're probably both going to go the rest of their lives without a diagnosis because neither of them are interested like your dad in Mm -hmm. I think dealing with the trauma of realizing that like your whole life could have been different I love my life as it is like I would not have my daughter if I wasn't an impulsive mess and I wouldn't be the parent I am if I wasn't as empathetic and creative as I am but I'm also scared for her because I know how difficult the process is I'm still not sort of in my medication yet my life hasn't Mm -hmm changed overnight but I know who I am now and I've realized that all that's happened is as a child society school my parents everything around me indoctrinated me into believing that who I was was not acceptable when actually I think the skills that we have we're supposed to thrive I think that's why society is in the state that it is today because we're missing out on so many good ideas how many beautiful brains are being lost to famine to not being diagnosed with mental health disorders to poverty and I think if we were more empathetic if empathetic ADHD people were in charge it would be chaos Gareth it would be chaos but it would be beautiful chaos it would be absolutely beautiful chaos and now is the time for me to jump in with what is possibly my favorite quote of all time and you know who I'm going to summon for this don't you oh is it Dolly please be Dolly Find out who you are and do it on purpose. And I I love love that quote because I... She's such a beautiful person, isn't she? She's just got such a positive outlook on life. Dolly Parton is God. Dolly is a God I can believe in because she has that mentality. And it is so weird, isn't it? Because, you know, you talk about disabled people and by no means I don't want to 
put out there that things are perfect for disabled people, for physically disabled people, because there is still so much God's damn prejudice in the world. Okay, so now there's laws in place where buildings have to be accessible and you have to think about accessibility, but people still don't. People still don't because they just kind of see that as an inconvenience. And, and this likewise, is the thing as well, like you get that sort of thing, don't you? Well, we had to suffer through it. And it's mm-hmm. like, I see it, maybe, I don't, I don't think it is because I've got a child though, because I think you see that as well, where like, I want to leave the world better. I don't mm-hmm. want people to suffer just because I did. Like surely I've suffered and gone through all this crap so that I can now get on a podcast and help someone else deal with it. That's yeah. the point, isn't it? And we've naturally come along to kind of how we do live in an ableist society. And we don't see it. We never see it. I mean, I because I masked for so many years, I never saw, you know, how a nine to five job is disabling for someone with ADHD, having to sit still at a till all day, not being not even being allowed to stand up at the till, having to sit in that seat. You know, there was a lady there who had um, problems with incontinence and they used to pick on her because she had to go to the toilet a lot and she had to ring for them to go to the toilet and they would wait. They would wait. So she had to wait. And I just thought, mm-hmm. like, why? Because they're thinking, well, oh, she's getting, you know, she's getting to go to the toilet whenever she, they're seeing it as like, she's getting privilege over me. You know, are you getting money and support? You were getting, you know, you're getting this. But actually, we're just trying to level the playing field because we've got things to offer. We don't want to, you know, I don't want to take from society and not give back, but I can't give back if you don't at least get me to a position where my, like Maslow, is it Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Is that who I'm thinking of? Yes. You need your needs met and our needs as a society across the board aren't being met but it's worse for neurodivergent people at the minute because we have such intense emotions problems with finances problems with relationships it's it's all going to hell and yeah. i just think the more we talk the more we kind of push back on this societal thing go actually no this is getting that message the other day made me feel so good i ran into a kid at one of the half-term holiday things that i would met before and he's got adhd He'd started off, you know, oh, my, my, my teachers think I'm, you know, I'm not very smart and my mum feels bad because we're having, a, you know, like we're on universal credit and I'm getting these free activities. And I was like, hang on a minute, mate, like you are not a drain on society. We have to invest on you because you are society. Whether you're an old, an old person, you know, whether you're not going to go back to work and you just, you know, live in your life, you're still part of society because you might talk to someone in the street who's suicidal and make them feel better and change their day around. It's not just about how productive we are. And that's the problem. Society is too caught up. The school systems, the diagnosis, it's all based on how inconvenient and how productive you are. And it's not right. I'm reminded of a couple of years ago when Caroline Flack killed herself. And so for anybody outside of the UK, Caroline Flack was a TV presenter um, who presented Love Island and killed herself because of a whole mixture of things that were going on in her life. And everybody went on this swell of be kind. This became, you know, the buzz phrase at the time, be kind. And yet you would see people with this plastered over their Facebook profile picture saying horrible things about Greta Thunberg online and about other people. And you would see people with be kind in their profile bullying other people online because they didn't understand what the fuck it actually meant show empathy towards other people yeah thing is there is so much over the years that i've not got but i've taken the time to learn about it because that is what you have to do you me everybody educate themselves about the things that other people face and i think if we can do that as a as a society Things can be way, way better because we can all then be a little bit more empowered to be ourselves, to find out who we are and do it on purpose. And I had this, obviously, talking to my gran before with the media, because I've had a lot of pushback from my family for a while. You know, we're looking into a diagnosis with the media um, and people are like, oh, you don't want to get labelled. You don't want to, you know... That's not what this is. What this is, is we just want to know more about ourselves because the whole point of the human condition is to go out and explore, explore inwardly and outwardly. You're not supposed to just be the same copy as everyone else. 
and you know she was like oh don't you think your your ADHD might possibly be rubbing off on her and I'm like well oh I can God. understand that because there's no it's a valid argument nature versus nurture like I do get it and obviously if you're around someone who has a messy room you're going to struggle to know that mess isn't you know I can tell her of her room but my room's mess I get it but at the same time I felt like going to school I was indoctrinated into trying to be a neurotypical kid it wasn't that I was rubbing off on them they were rubbing off on me because they just shunned me because there was no acceptance for who I was and the irony is probably half of that class at the time were, were neurodivergent or had some sort of thing that made them feel like they couldn't fit in so they had to pretend to be someone else whether it's mental health whether it's you know your, your family have problems and you don't want your friends to find out everyone masks but we do it to the extreme and when we get to to this age I mean there's there's women on on my support pages where they're like 60 70 and they've just had a diagnosis for ADHD and mm-hmm. they're go- going through that morning period that I went through if I didn't have Amelia to kind of go everything had to happen in that exact order for her to be in my life and choose the best thing ever if I didn't have that I think I'd look back on my life and just go I'd be angry I'd be angry that it was missed I'd be like mournful for the degree that I could have got and the the job that I could have had and the fact that I never lived up to anyone's expectations and the whole time I was living up to everyone else's expectations and now I don't know what I should expect of myself and I don't know who I am. We all want to be able to understand ourselves because we are all different we are all such vastly vastly different people and society doesn't recognize that and that's when debates about privilege come in and that's what people people see debates about privilege as a criticism but that's not what it is as white people we have privilege because society kind of expects us to be white as neurotypical people you have privilege because society expects that of you and society is set up for somebody who is neurotypical and able-bodied and young and a man and everything else that I am missing here you know we've been on this journey of find out who you are and do it on purpose and as much as my neurodiversity and the way that I have acted because of that neurodiversity has unfortunately ruined something really really special I still love my neurodiversity I love my creativity because that is what it comes from I love my empathy for other people because sometimes it hurts that other people don't get this stuff and don't get the be kind thing. But I know that that comes from my hypersensitivity to emotions and particularly my hypersensitivity to other emotions. And I suppose this is one of the things we talked about last time. And I think I said this exact thing last time as well. But ADHD can be debilitating because of the way society is set up but we're not alone we've 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 shown each other that we've shown hopefully some of you that and ADHD can be a motherfucking superpower it just doesn't feel like it sometimes but actually I love my neuro spicy chaos squirrel brain and Pamela I love your neuro spicy chaos squirrel brain and I think that's it I think we just have to see it that we are the other side of the coin I think like you know I think we were supposed to be the the night watchers you know we were the adventurers we were the ones that were supposed to follow our impulses and have big feelings and I just feel like those skills have been lost over time Mm -hmm. and if we can bring those back I mean just the progress that we've both made in the last few weeks just from doing this podcast the progress we've helped other people to make in just a small time every time I go to the gym I hate going up the stairs because you have a heart attack but on the way down when you're coming out after your class they've got a thing and it's something like progress is one step at a time Mm. and I just think like I always forget that because with ADHD you want to race ahead and you want to prove to everyone that you're worthy and I think if anyone can take something away from this today it's that your self-worth isn't something that you need to earn that's something that you should already have You've got a right to be here and whatever anyone else thinks of you is bullshit. It doesn't matter. And all the shit you say to yourself in your head is just years of that programming. And you need to start unpicking that. And it starts with asking for help. Get on support groups. Try to get that diagnosis. If anyone needs help, 
if you message through the page I've got shit tons of information that I can't fit in here but yeah just just go and do it find out who you are and fucking live find out who you are and do it on purpose also Pamela once again buried the lead the Facebook page is snowflakes are ruining the world that just about does us for today so once again thank you all very much for listening to our chaotic ranting it's been a lot i know once again this is going to be a bitch to edit but hey i'm going to be revisiting trauma either way aren't i great why do i do this to myself oh my god my whole life's trauma gareth i don't think i don't think we can avoid it can we this is true. My whole life is revisiting trauma. Yeah, just and um, just just in case Bob listened to this, <laughs> go fuck yourself. You muted me. I thought I had to wait for you to unmute me, you bastard. I've just muted you again. <laughs>